Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Waterfront Church. If you got your Bibles, open to 1 Peter chapter 5, and then Genesis 41. We'll consider or we'll continue our study uh, of the life of Joseph. 1 Peter chapter 5. Our study today starts with this question. Have you ever noticed a key ingredient in someone else's success? You ever noticed a key ingredient in someone else's success? I don't know about you, but if you're like me, um, I like to look at a person's life, and especially if it's somebody that I feel like is really doing things the right way, I'll look at them and sometimes be like, man, what's the secret sauce? You know, what is it that's made that person so successful? What is it that's allowed them to connect? And usually, you can even see it in extremity relationships and the way that they, you know, they take care of their life or take care of their family. Usually, there's something that jumps out. So I wrote down some things, and by the way, there are several of you in the congregation today that I thought of when I wrote out some of these things. Uh, have you ever noticed a key ingredient in someone's success? First one I wrote down was physical or mental toughness. Uh, number two, hard work, a brilliant or creative mind, relentless faith, hard work, an encourager. And then some of you in this room are spectacular team builders. God has given you gifts, but you have really worked hard to cultivate that gift so that you could empower and take care of others. But here's what was interesting. As I went through and thought of the key ingredients for people's success, there was one thing that kept coming up over and over again. Humility. Great leaders in any capacity, humility is the defining characteristic. And I'm telling you, in this city, sometimes we can think that humility is optional. Humility, when it comes to Christ-centered leadership, is not optional. It's an absolute requirement. And Peter lays that out in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Here's what it says. Peter writes, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Circle, highlight, and underline that last prepositional phrase, in due time. Now picture this, by the way. Peter gives us an illustration here. He says, humble yourself before God under his hand. Now, the idea there is not that you get squashed by God, but rather that you are under his leadership and control. But then the same picture is given. If you start under God's hand in time, he will what? He will lift you up. It's the opposite of what takes place. Why would humility be a requirement for God lifting us up and placing us where we were made to be? It's because we realize God is the one who's in charge. God is the one who's in control and we have allowed him to put to death our sinful pride. Last week, many of you were here as we went through and talked about how humility is walking that line between pride and self-deprecation. Some of you have been taught that humility is you going, oh, I'm the worst, I'm awful, I'm terrible, this is just horrible. And here's the thing, people are seeing right through that. That's false humility. Self-deprecation is discounting the fact that Scripture says we were fearfully and wonderfully made, created in our God's image in advance to do good works. God is sovereign. God is all-powerful. We are under his mighty hand, and yet he created us powerfully to do his will, to do good works. If you're taking notes, this comes from Webster's Dictionary. You ready? Humility, the definition, is a modest view of one's own importance. Let me say that again. A modest view of one's own importance. I can see it on some of your faces right now. That is not what you thought humility was. Humility is not, I stink, I'm the worst, I'm awful. Somebody get a crowbar and pry me up off the floor. That's not humility. Humility is a modest, honest, genuine understanding of your place in the universe, that you are not God, but also he made you, especially for such a time as this, to fulfill his purpose. 
If humility is a modest view of one's own importance, then pride, the definition here, is an inflated view of one's own importance. Pride is like an inflated balloon. All it is is just a small piece of rubber. And yet, when it's inflated, it is just asking to be popped. Pride cometh before a fall, Scripture says. If you're taking notes, write this down. A little quote here for you. Genuine humility comes when we realize who we are and who we serve. Let me say that again. Genuine humility comes when we realize who we are and who we serve. If you're thinking about the spectrum here again, who we are is created by God in advance to do good works. Who we serve is in submission to Almighty God, the creator of the universe, the one who breathed and the stars came to be, the one who spoke and the light appeared. That God is all all-powerful, and yet he made us in his image to do good works. I could give you a thousand examples of pride in my life, but when I think of the personification of pride, there is an instance back when I was younger that always comes to mind. So back in the day, my parents had a rule that anybody that we spent time with, my brother or sister or I, anybody we spent time with had to come and meet the family, had to come and meet mom and dad before we could go and spend time with them. That's a great rule, by the way, to have, not just for dating, but for friendships as well. Well, this just happened to be a situation where my little sister was 14 years old, my, uh, my dad was home for this particular experience, and there was a 14-year-old boy who wanted to come by and take my little sister to the movies. We had some rules on dating, and so this was kind of one of those gray area things. And so sure enough, dad said, you make sure he comes by and meets us before we let you go out and spend time with him. Well, his mom pulls up in the minivan, and this poor little young man was a picture of pride, okay? This was beautiful for me, because I got to be a fly on the wall and watch this whole thing unfold. That's how you want to watch those. You don't want to be involved in them. Just watch them. That's the way it goes. So I'm up against the wall watching this. The young man, if I remember it correctly, did not knock on the door. His mom pulls up in the minivan, and he just opens the door and walks in like he owns the place. All of a sudden, he walks in, and he sees my dad, and he goes, Hey, John, nice to meet you. No Mr. Randalls, no John Randalls. A bunch of the college kids in town called my dad Randalls. None of that, just, hey, John, how's it going? And my dad, I'm telling you, I could just see it on his face. It was like, what is this? Who do you think you are? And all of a sudden, he stops, and he goes, all right, young man, uh, what's your name? And the young man says this. He goes, you can call me Blaze. <laughs> and dad goes, I can call you Blaze, huh? He goes, how did you? He goes, what's your real name? He goes, it's Justin, but everybody calls me Blaze. Dad goes, all right, Justin, how did you get the nickname Blaze? No exaggeration. The young man goes, I gave it to myself. That's what he said. <laughs> I gave it to myself. And then dad goes, well, why, why Blaze? And he goes, because I'm fast, John. I'm fast. And I mean, again, read into the implications there. Dad was not happy at that point. <laughs> All of a sudden, my sister bounds down the stairs, and all of a sudden, in that moment, you got it. He just goes, all right, catch you later, John. That's what he said, and then they walked out the door. <laughs> I'll never forget. I'm sitting there the whole time like, why didn't Dad just destroy this kid? You know what I mean? Why didn't this happen? Well, he knew as soon as my sister spent time with him, there was not going to be a second date, all right? He did not want to expend the human capital on that, so all that to say. I'm telling you, picture of pride. Now, I'd share that story, not to belittle that young man. He's grown up to be a great man of faith. And actually, ironically, he works in ministry. That's kind of the funny side there. <laughs> Listen, great guy. Every one of us have had moments like that 
Or we walk in, we think we're the bee's knees, right? We think that we're the ones who have got it all together, that we call the shots, that we're the baller in the situation, and then guess what happens? We get humbled real fast. Humility is something that the Lord loves you enough to craft it into you, to shape it and to chisel it into your life. And when humility is a part of the equation, don't miss this, everyone can rejoice. Humility makes it to where everyone can rejoice no matter where they are in the story. Again, I hadn't been, pri- or I, hadn't been uh, I hadn't been humble in every aspect of my life, but there was a time where I was so, so scared and nervous, and that was when I went to talk to my wife's father about asking uh, for uh, his blessing so that she and I could get married. And I'll never forget, uh, my father-in-law is my wife's adopted father. Uh, my wife's uh, a real father left early on, um, and uh, this man adopted both my wife and her sister, uh, and uh, is a hard man. He was a welder by trade. Uh, they had 75 acres of a farm in Nakona, Texas. And uh, again, he was very protective over these girls. And listen, he had not had good experiences in his past with ministers. And so coming into this circumstance, I was very, very nervous. I spent time with their family, but it got to where we were a few months out of the wedding and I knew that I needed to talk to him about this, uh, about what was going on before we moved forward, before I gave her the ring. Some of you were here when we showed the picture of the prayer chapel and all that stuff. This is just before that. I go to see him, and we're out on their little farm, and there's the overhang where there's basically their garage area. And I remember I walk out there, I ask to speak to him privately, and he knew exactly what I was doing. But my hands are shaking. I'm sweating profusely. I was so, so nervous about what was going to happen in that moment. And I remember I go, uh, sir, I just wanted to talk to you about something. And I'll never forget his exact words. He said, son, you got it. It was perfect. He could see the humility. I could have just gone and married her. We could have made that decision, just the two of us. But I wanted to involve him in the family. I wanted to acknowledge the fact that he picked up the pieces and that he stepped up and was the leader in the family. He said, son, he said, you got it. I stopped and I said, I can't believe that this was that easy. And he said, said, I've always wanted a son. And he said, this is going to be a very special day. Now, here's the deal. Humility creates a situation where everyone can rejoice where everyone can take part in the story. And listen, there doesn't have to be a villain. When humility is present, you create a situation that doesn't require there to be a villain. And that's what we should desire. It's the idea of being a peacemaker. It begs this question, if you're taking notes, how exactly does God bless the humble? We get a perfect example of that in Genesis chapter 41 as we jump back into the story of Joseph. Now, before verse 41 makes any sense, you have to know the backstory, which we've talked about at length over the last nine weeks. You can go watch the podcast or go listen to the podcast to get all the, um, all the, all the gory details. But the short version is Joseph, remember, has a vision that he is going to be someone that God uses powerfully, but he pridefully shares that dream with his brothers to kind of rule authority over them, and then they pay him back by a big hefty dose of forced humility. They sell him into slavery. He gets accused of sexual assault, even though it's wrongful accusation. They don't have enough, uh, don't have enough uh, uh, evidence to convict him because it wasn't there. He was wrongfully accused. He's living in prison. While he's in prison, an opportunity provides 
provides itself where he gets to uh, eventually translate some dreams that happen for some other guys. He goes before Pharaoh, and we talked about in the last couple of weeks, he translates the dream of Pharaoh, and then Pharaoh is so, uh, so uh, uh, feels so blessed by what's taking place. It's a holy scenario that's happened where they realize it's something bigger that this man, Joseph, is connected to Almighty God. And then last week, Pharaoh says, I'm setting you free from your chains. We're going to not put you in the dungeon anymore. You're going to be at my right hand. We're going to see specifically what happens with humble Joseph, how the blessing begins to unfold for him. Look at verse 41. It says, so Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Underline I hereby, because that is a a powerful word right from the beginning. I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and he put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck and he had him ride in the chariot as his second in command. And the men shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Stop right there for just a minute. That word word I hereby is incredibly important because what Pharaoh is doing there is with a scribe in his presence is he is dictating law. He stands up and says, I hereby put you into this new position. But what he's just done there is put in writing that Joseph's past is no longer counted against him. For any of you in this room who have ever made a mistake or had an accusation brought against you where you are not the same man or the same woman that you were before. And then all of a sudden, in writing is something that other people can go to to see that is not who you are anymore, that's a powerful, powerful moment. His past has no power over him anymore. And then Pharaoh says, and by the way, here's the ring off my finger. Anybody gives you trouble, you show them the ring of Pharaoh and they will know that you have personally been forgiven by me. It's a beautiful picture of the respect that Joseph is able to receive again. Not because he earned it, but because in his humility, humble yourself in the Lord's presence under his mighty hand, and in due time, he will lift you up. How does God bless the humble? Number one is with respect. With respect. Respect is an interesting concept because it's not tangible. You can't take hold of it, and yet... Every one of you in this room know when you have respect and when you don't. Respect comes when someone is humble. I'd like for you to think about it. Sometimes the way we go about respect is completely and totally the wrong way. If you're taking notes, write this down. Those who demand respect never truly receive it. Let me say that again. Those who demand respect never truly receive it. If respect is coming your way because of a position you hold, a title you hold, or someone that you are under or someone you are serving, it's not really respect. It might be submission, but it's not truly respect. Respect comes when we have got humility involved in the situation and they bestow it upon us. I've got an example of this in my own life. So back in the day, and if you've been around Waterfront even longer than a year, you've heard this story, but it's one of the defining characteristics of my life. Some of you may have experienced this as well. More than rubies, more than diamonds, more than money in the bank account, more than power or position, more than even, in some cases, if I'm being honest, my life is now about serving the Lord. But in the early days, even more than giving my life to serve the Lord, I wanted my Father's respect more than anything in the world. There's some of you in this room 
who could probably say the same thing. And it may not be father, it might be mother or grandparents, maybe a coach, teacher or leader, somebody, person on your block that you grew up with. But if you were really honest, you wanted that respect so deeply and so badly. For me, it was my father's respect. And um, early on, he and I were close growing up, but he traveled a whole bunch. He was gone, and there were some tough things that happened over the years, as they always do in every family, but some tough things that happened that drove a wedge between the two of us. But that desire for his respect never, ever went away. So I just graduated from Oklahoma State, and the Lord was crafting humility in my heart. That's where, with the, with the degree, I was waiting tables at the finest restaurant in America, Red Lobster. Okay, there's your waterfront bingo for those of you playing at home, all right? <laughs> I'm waiting tables with a degree at Red Lobster, and the Lord is beginning to craft and chisel humility into my life. I'll never forget, my dad was teaching a Bible study there at Texas Tech University called Paradigm, 1,600 college kids a week on Thursday nights for this Bible study. It was a very, very special time. And as I'd moved in, I desired my dad's respect, but the Lord was also crafting in me that I needed to be a minister, that I needed to step up and give the Lord my whole life, that I needed him to be my main focus and my main goal. So I scheduled a meeting with John Strapazon, who is the college minister at First Baptist Church in Lubbock, And John Strapazon said, let's meet on campus. And he said, I want to hear your story. So we set up at a bench right by the seal at the front entrance of the Texas Tech University campus. And when we sit down, Strap goes, Zach, tell me about your life. And what comes out of my mouth is, well, Strap, for you to understand me, first you got to understand all the awful things that my dad did to me when I was a young man. Now, here's the deal. The problem with that is I had had discussions with my dad about the past, but he and I had a period of time of about 18 months where we didn't speak at all because every time I would talk to him, I wanted to drag his nose through the mud that he wasn't there for me, that he was a part of bad things that had happened to me, and it was a way, honestly, for me to transfer blame from the bad decisions I had made onto him. And I said, man, Strap, you're going to want to know these things. Well, know this. Strap was the coordinator of the Bible study. I had just gone to my dad's boss in that circumstance and tried to give him all the juicy gossip and details. Well, praise God. Strap was a godly man. Strap goes, I don't want to hear that stuff. He said, your dad's my friend. He said, I'm a lot more concerned with you becoming the man that God intended for you to be than hearing the juicy gossip about your father. And then, I didn't say this in the earlier service, he said, is this what you do with all of your mentors? It's one of the reasons I was ripped to my core that day. I start to weep in the middle of campus Strap said, aren't you ready for forgiveness? If you've been around Waterfront, you've heard me say this too. Remember, forgiveness is between you and God. Reconciliation is between you and other people. Find forgiveness in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and then he will begin to change your heart so that forgiveness can take place in your life. Reconciliation is the magic of the Holy Spirit working on the other person as well. I said, what do I do? How does this even work? He said, we're going to do it by what we call Whataburger and a compliment. Eddie, you the man. You all right, Eddie? Just checking, just checking. Whataburger and a compliment. He comes up and he says, after your dad preaches on Thursday nights, he's exhausted. He said, first of all, he said, every preacher wants to hear they did a good job. He said, but tell him specifically something you took from the message that changed his life. 
He said, second, he's got to be hungry because we preachers don't eat before we preach because if you get up here and get indigestion, it's ugly, all right? <laughs> so he said, why don't you go buy him Whataburger and then have that compliment waiting for him. I was just so crazy. I thought, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. So armed with Whataburger and a compliment that I had hastily written on my hand during the service, I walk over to my dad afterwards. And I'll never forget, I've got the Whataburger in this hand, and as I'm walking up, I can see him. He's got a group of students around him, and I see it in his eyes. It's, oh, no, not him. For my own father, that was how much I kept dragging him through the mud every time I saw him. So I walk up, and I go, hey, Dad, I got you this to eat. I know you're hungry after you preach. And I go, and uh, you did a really good job with uh, this point in the sermon and this one. I like the story that you told here. And I go, it just was a really good week. Well, it's good to see you, Dad. I'll see you next week. I'm looking forward to how the sermon series ends. And I start to walk away. And you know how you can see somebody in your peripheral vision? I can see him just staring at the Whataburger like, what just happened? (laughs) What just happened? And then I was like, this might just work. This might just work. I went home that night and I made a decision. I decided that I was not going to bring up the past, listen to me, ever, ever again. Now, there are some of you that would say, you just pretending like it didn't happen. No, I'd been dealing with it for a decade. I made the decision it was not going to rule my life anymore, that it was not going to define me. And for some of you, you need to receive that today. You hold on to that anger. You hold on to that hatred. You hold on to that frustration. You hold on to that victim mentality. If the Son has set you free, then you are really free, Scripture says. Let it go. Experience forgiveness in Jesus Christ and then allow him to stir the reconciliation process. Set up good boundaries with that person so they can't hurt you again. But don't dwell in the past. That day, I released it to Almighty God, and I decided the words of me are ended. I'm not going to bring it up again. From there, God began to craft a present and a future with our friendship. I go the next week, Whataburger and a compliment on my hand. And this time, Dad made sure he was by himself and nobody else was around him. I handed him the Whataburger I said, Dad, you did a great job, point such and such on my hand. All right, I'll see you next week. And he said, hey, 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 hold up. He was so sharp. He wanted reconciliation too. He goes, "Uh, I'm about to disciple some guys at IHOP. He said, you want to stick around? Come hang out with us? I said, man, I'd love that more than anything. I remember I didn't say a word. I didn't want to mess it up. I just sat there and was so happy at the work that God was doing. Five years, Whataburger and a compliment, the Lord chipping away at the dross around our relationship. And then it finally came to a head on the day that my daughter Lulu was born. Lulu was born in Wichita Falls, Texas, at the regional hospital. And part of my struggle with my dad is he traveled and preached for 22 years, so he missed a lot of big days in my life. So Lulu's being born, our first, his first grandchild, our first child, And on that day, Dad had somewhere he was supposed to preach, but he showed up at the hospital. And I'll never forget, he came up to me and he said, I'm going to stay. He said, there's a guy named Bobby Bressman was the one who Dad was supposed to preach for that night. He said, I called Bobby. I'm going to stay. I said, you don't have to, Dad. I didn't require it anymore. There was no hoop for him to jump through for me. Forgiveness had taken place between me and God. 
He said, I'm going to stay because it's the right thing to do. And then we get to the point of the epidural. My wife and I had been together the whole way through, and this particular hospital had a rule that the husbands could not stay in the room while the epidural was going on because they were seeing the big needle and fainting. And so they had a rule that you had to leave the room. We dudes are wimps in that circumstance. It's just how it goes. So I walk out into the hallway, and all of a sudden it hits me like a ton of bricks. I'm going to be a father. I'm going to be a father today. It just was this amazing, unbelievable feeling. And I remember I walked to the lobby, and there was this circle window, and I've got tears streaming down my cheeks. And I look in, and my dad is right there outside the window. And I kind of wave him back, and he runs up, and he says, is the baby okay? Is the baby okay? Is Lulu okay? We went into the back side room, counseling room, sat down. He's got his hands on my shoulder, and he said, Zach, is the baby okay? I said, she's fine. She's fine. I go, I'm going to be a dad. I'm going to be a dad. And all of a sudden, I feel his grip on my shoulders, and his hands begin to shake. And my dad calls out, I was a terrible father. (laughs) He said, I wasn't there for you. And I go, no, you were the best father. He said, I wasn't there for you. Now, here's what's crazy. That moment was the one that I had scripted in my mind all those years ago, but I didn't require it anymore. Forgiveness had truly taken place in my heart and life. And when he cried out, I was not there for you. I could honestly say, no, you were a great father. You were there for me. And he said, I wasn't there for you, but I could be there for Lulu and I will be there for you. Lulu was born on March 19th. My dad died five years after that day on April the 1st. It was five spectacular years. And my lifelong dream of having my father's respect, I can stand before you this day and say the Lord gave it. But humility is the roadmap to that moment. And you may not get it this side of heaven, but humility, when we humble ourselves before Almighty God, In due time, he will lift you up. In due time, he will provide those amazing moments for you. Those who demand respect never truly receive it. It begs the question today, are you earning respect or are you demanding it? Are you earning respect or are you demanding it? There are some of you in this room today, I had not planned on telling that story and then the Lord called for it this morning. There are some of you in this room that needed to hear Whataburger and a compliment, the roadmap back to reconciliation. Humble yourself, even with those who have hurt you, and in due time, the Lord will lift you up. Let's keep moving. Look at Genesis chapter 41, and now let's look at 44 and 45. The poor first service only got that one point, and so you guys get at least a few more. You ready? (laughs) Genesis 41, verses 44 and 45. It says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. But without your word, no one will lift a hand or a foot in Egypt. Look at this. This is crazy. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephanath Paneah. Underline Zephanath Paneah. And he gave him Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Stop right there for just a minute. Not only does he receive respect, but Pharaoh gives him a nickname, Asenath Paneah. Write this down in the flap of your Bible because you're going to want to remember this later. Are you ready? Asenath Paneah meant revealer of secrets. 
revealer of secrets. Pharaoh looks at him and says, your name is not just any old Joe anymore. Your name's not just Joseph. He said, when people meet you, I want them to go, this is Asenath Panea, and they go, really, revealer of secrets? Remember our story about Justin? Blaze gave the nickname to myself, right? <laughs> they go, Asenath Panea, revealer of secrets. You give yourself that nickname so that someone around him can be like, no, Pharaoh gave him that nickname. Most powerful dude in the ancient world gave him that nickname, and the entire room would have stepped back and gone, whoa, Pharaoh doesn't just throw around nicknames like that. It was an illustration of his character, that he has this unspeakable connection with Almighty God. All of a sudden, it changes, and his reputation has been settled. How does God bless the humble? Number one, with respect, and number two, with a good reputation. With a good reputation. I would challenge you to think of someone in your life that has a good reputation that is not humble. Can you possibly think of someone in your life, even one person, that you would say has a good reputation, someone you would go to in a time of need that is an absolute jerk and all about themselves? There's not one person you could think of with a good reputation that doesn't have humility as part of their makeup. Why? Because when someone's prideful and you need help from them, you crawl and you grovel for their help. When it's someone who's humble, they are accessible. It's a person that you can go to, that you can have a discussion with, because maybe, just maybe, they understand that your situation is difficult. Your name is the sum of your character. Write that down. Your name is the sum of your character. <coughs> and by the way, it's not just that Joseph is the revealer of secrets. It's that Pharaoh has attached his character to Joseph by giving him that nickname. Revealer of Secrets is a powerful nickname because of the person who gave it to him. So our family loves to watch a little movie called Coco. Have you all seen Coco? All right. Great movie. Fantastic movie. Can uh, any of you remember the villain's name in Coco? Nobody? Zach, do you remember? Ernesto de la Cruz, all right? <laughs> Ernesto de la Cruz. You remember that? He's the bad guy in the movie. Now, I don't speak great Spanish, had two years of it in college, okay? But I can translate Ernesto de la Cruz. Ernesto de la Cruz means honest as the cross. That's what they've named the villain there. Honest as the cross. Now listen, his name... It sounds like he would be a good character, and Disney very, very powerfully crafts it so that you think of him one way in the beginning, and you think of him another way by the end of the movie. But his character shines through, and then Ernesto de la Cruz is not a name of kindness and honesty, but one of deceit and hatefulness by the end, because that's what his character uh, has uh, created in his name. That's the way that it goes. Your reputation is not just the hope that you were given in the name uh, that you were given by your parents when you were born. Your character, or the, your name is the sum of your character. In Acts chapter 4, we get an example of this with a man named Joseph. Again, named Joseph. Joseph is an early church believer. And it says that Joseph goes and sells a field that he has and lays the money at the apostles' feet so they can take the gospel all the way to the ends of the known earth at that point. He also is very kind and uplifting in the church. He's the one that brings the apostles Paul when he's just named Saul up to, the, uh, up to the apostles at the beginning so that they can connect with him and encourage him. So much so that in Acts 4 they go, dude, your name isn't just Joe anymore. It's Barnabas. Barnabas is what we know him as. They go, you have been so special. You're not just Joseph anymore. Your name is son of encouragement. 
And then through the rest of the book of Acts, they don't call him Joseph. They call him Barnabas. When your character shines through in humility, laying the money at the apostles' feet, standing up for the apostle Paul when he didn't even have a friend in the congregation, the one who goes to Antioch so that the Gentiles are led in the club, when he goes and does those things, they go, man, you're not Joseph anymore. You're just encouragement personified. Does that describe you? Humility crafts that great reputation. In Matthew 5, verse 9, Jesus says it this way. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. When you are one who actively seeks peace where it does not exist, from the mouth of the Son of God himself, he says, you are a part of God's family. They consider you a part of God's family when you actively seek peace. If you don't take anything else away from today, take this question. I'm sure somebody else said this before me, uh, but I wrote this this week, and I was like, this one was pretty good. Very humbly, this one was pretty good. You ready? <laughs> Does Jesus own your name, or do you rent it to him? I say that again. Does Jesus own your name, or do you rent it to him? I'm sure somebody else said that before me. Um, but it really hit home with me this week. I give him part of my life, but he desires all of it to craft our reputation so that when people see us, that instead they would see him. Now look at our last verse, and we'll close today. Verse 46. It says, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out, underline went out from Pharaoh's presence, and he traveled throughout Egypt. Underline traveled throughout Egypt. How does God bless the humble? Number one, with respect. Number two, with the good reputation. And number three, with influence. God blesses humble Joseph with great influence. So Pharaoh appoints him as the second in command, but don't miss this picture. He has given him power and authority to where Joseph could lead a revolution against him. He's got the king's ring. He can speak on his behalf. Why in the world would God, or why in the world would Pharaoh trust this man that he has just met the day before? Because the power of God has radiated through him. He's heard the stories of the way he led in Potiphar's house. He's heard the stories of the way he led in the prison. He's heard the stories of how he poured into the cupbearer and even the baker that was condemned to die, loving both men the same way, even though one was on the way up and one was on the way down. He's spoken honestly and openly to Pharaoh, and a holy moment took place. And Pharaoh goes, whoa, not only do I feel like you have this connection to Almighty God, but for some reason I trust you and I'm going to allow you to have great influence over me and my kingdom. You see, influence is not something that you earn through position or power. Influence can only be earned through character. If you're taking notes, write this down. Selflessness is a defining characteristic for any truly trusted influencer. Selflessness is a defining characteristic for any truly trusted influencer. Why is that? Because if you go to someone who is prideful, they give you advice, but it is always through the grid of how it can help them the most. If you go to somebody who struggles with self-deprecation, they're going to give you advice that runs through that grid as well. Humility is the great equalizer. Someone who understands their place and their attitude is to try to help you in the same regard. Our final story today, there is no greater example of how an influencer is humble than that in the story of Jesus Christ. 
When you study the story of Jesus and the centurion that's at the foot of the cross, the centurion, after seeing the sky turn dark, looks up at Jesus after he's taken his last breath and says, surely this man is the son of God. So many times when we watch that in a movie or we hear it preached on Easter Sunday, we go through and we hear that story and go, whoo, because the sky turned dark, that's why the centurion makes that comment. No, the centurion makes that comment because he's been with him from the moment he came into Pilate's house. They lead Jesus in after doing a wrongful trial with him in secret. And when Jesus comes in, Pilate looks at him and says, Jesus, don't you realize I have the power to crucify you or to set you free? All you got to do is cry uncle. All you got to do is say that this story is not true and you'll be set free. And Jesus looks at him and says, dude, every bit of power you have has been given to you from above. It's not yours. You know this is between me and my father and not between you and the Jewish people. And all of a sudden, Pilate gets scared to death right there in front of the centurion and says, I know I've had people like you in the past. Once we whip them, once they shed their blood, they always recant. Throw him down. Whip him 39 times with the cat of nine tails. And then let's see if he turns loose and recants. And they whip him. Whip, catch, and pull. Rip the flesh from his body 39 times with the cat of nine tails. And Jesus doesn't say a stinking word. They then bully him. Beat him up. And it's the captain, the guard that does it. The centurion would have watched as they punch him in the head, hit him with the staff as they beat the crown of thorns onto his brow. And Jesus says nothing. Sometimes there's this picture of Jesus that's given that he was some wimp, whipped 39 times with the cat of nine tails and still somehow able to carry his cross halfway up the hill. Jesus must have been one buff sucker, I'm just telling you. He falls halfway up. The other guys have not been beaten. It was illegal to do so and crucify someone. He falls. They watch him still struggle. They carry the cross up the hill. And then Jesus does what no one in history before or since had ever done. He lays his arms out willingly for them to place the nails into his hands and feet. He watches the people weep at the foot of the cross he watches the sky turn dark. And then the sum of all that humility together causes the centurion to say, something holy happened here today. Surely he was who he claimed to be. And then Jesus influences him. He's different after that moment. Influence is not something that you earn through position or number in your bank account. Influence is something that you earn by being the real stinking deal and so humble that people know if I go to them, they're going to help me. They're going to do what's best for me and not seek what's selfishly good for them. It begs our final question today. Does all your insight center around what's best for you? Does all your insight center around what's best for you. I didn't say this in the early service, but I feel called to say it now. There's some of you that desire influence over your older children. You want to know how you can have that influence? Start with Whataburger and a compliment. Pour into them. Help them be successful. And then make decisions so that when they look to you, they know you will speak honestly into my life and not just do what makes it easier on the family, what makes it easier for you. When we do those things... It causes this beautiful reconciliation to take place. 
I love you guys. Thank you for listening today. Sorry the story was so long. I feel called to share it every now and again. It's like the Lord pulls it out of me. It's hard to tell. I hope that some of you were able to receive it well today. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me. We call this our time of reflection. Nothing mystical or magical about this time. Just a chance for us to stop and to process how we're different because of the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read. <coughs> With nobody looking around but just me, is there anyone here today that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I've been caught in pride or self-deprecation, and it's time that I have that modest view of my own importance, that God is sovereign, that he is in control but also that I was created in his image to do good works, that he made me to do his will. With nobody looking but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me, pray that I would be humble. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now, ready, set, go. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down, so many of you. If that's you, I'm going to pray for you, but pray this simple prayer. God, help me to be humble. Help me to know my place in the universe. Second, maybe there are some of you that would say, Zach, I'm the one you talked about that desires respect. Maybe from a father, a mother, a relative, a coach, a teacher, an employer, someone in your community, a friend. But you'd say, it's time I go about it the right way. I don't need to demand it. I don't need to try to work to get it. It's time I started doing Whataburger and a compliment. It's time I started trying to make them successful rather than demand that they do my will. With nobody looking but just me, if that's you, I just want to pray for you as well if you just lift your hand where you are right now. It's powerful. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down. Whataburger and a compliment. I'm going to pray for you. But before we go, reach out to the Lord and say, God, show me what to do here. Show me how I can start reconciliation. And then last but not least, Maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I want to be a person of influence. I want to be one that can be trusted, that's out for not just my own interest, but I would be truly seen as one who is unbiased and out for the interests of others as well. With nobody looking but just me, Christ is the center, is the only way that can ever be. If you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me, that I would be a person of influence, that I would truly be an individual that could be trusted to give good advice, not focused or centered around my own life. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now, ready, set, go. So many of you, so many of you, y'all can put your hands down. The rise happens for Joseph because humility is ingrained in every aspect of his life. He has submitted to Yahweh fully and he's given him his life, every ounce of it. And in due time, he lifts him up. If that was you, pray this simple prayer. God, help me to have the character to be worthy of influence. God, help me to have the character to be worthy of influence. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll stand. Father, thank you for this day, for our chance to study your word and to serve you. Speak powerfully in these next moments. Lord, we thank you for Joseph's example. Lord, we pray that as we humble ourselves, that in due time you would lift us up with respect, a good reputation, with influence. And God, I pray that we would totally and completely belong to you so much so that when people see us, that they would see you. We love you, Lord. Speak in power in these final moments. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.